Hello and welcome to episode 55 of Sensational She Geek Live from Yancey Street. And as it is the 21st of March 2022, happy spring equinox. If you're thinking that you may have missed an episode last week, you were not wrong. Um, or I guess you are wrong. I didn't I didn't do the episode last week. <laughs> so this one is going to be quite longer. Um, that being said, it has some really, really fun stuff on this episode. I'm quite excited. Now, uh, before I lose anybody here at the beginning, please stick around to listen to my Ms. Marvel theory. Um, it'll obviously have the time signature, you know, down below, but I really, really want to hear what people think about my Ms. Marvel theory because I have not seen anybody talking about it on the internet. I'm not saying I'm the only one who's thought of this. I'm sure somebody else out there has or dozens of people, whatever, whatever. There's a lot of people in the world. Um, I think it's a great theory and I, I, I want people to hear the theory and and I, I, it's the kind of theory where if I'm wrong about it, I will probably be a little bit disappointed because it's that good of a theory. So stick around for that for sure uh, some point here in the episode. As I said, this is going to be a little bit different of a setup of an episode because I am doing so much more news. Um, we're doing kind of a Women's History Month focus on the news. Um, it's going to be broken up into a number of categories. It's going to be uh, Women's History Month headlines, uh, TV and movie updates, which is a bunch of stuff in that one, movie, TV, rumors, and theories, another big bunch of stuff there, and then trailers, which of course I am breaking down the Ms. Marvel trailer, and it's been a minute now since it came out, but the Obi-Wan trailer, I think it's been two weeks since it came out, but I'm finally breaking, not really breaking down, but discussing what we see in the Obi-Wan trailer, um, really really excited for that one too i this is great stuff uh and then we have finally in the news section some comic book updates where we're going to talk about a number of things coming in the next couple of months from comics uh that you may want to be aware of so keep your ears and eyes and all of that peeled and open in a not gross way now as we get to comic book picks i only have like three things i'm gonna talk about I'm so behind on comics, but I've been working so much on this. So uh, we're going to talk Thor 22, Gwen vs. Number 1, and Trial of the Amazons Number 1, which is part one of the event, Trial of the Amazons. I have not read the other issues of it yet, and I know we have uh, two more. It's 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 um, the finale of Nubia and the Amazons. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Um, and, and then uh, Wonder Woman. And then next week we have another one coming out, which leads me into the polls, which I will be discussing a regular week of polls, the standard way that I've been doing it recently, which is um, talking about the the number ones. And I am starting off with three things that I've pulled out for, again, Women's History Month spotlights. Um, but it's going to be, aside from those three, in order of one through 57 for Saga. Um, and then I'll talk about the solicitations for the number ones and uh, just kind of go briefly over the rest of them because you end up repeating yourself a lot <laughs> if you read the solicitations every single time. Um, but then what's going to take up a big chunk of this episode is the both Marvel and DC comic June solicitations for this year, 2022. Um, we have some really, really big points. And just to pique your interest, I will list them now for Marvel. The big points in June are Pride Covers. Avengers, X-Men, and Eternals Begins, Daredevil Restarts, Daredevil, Jane Foster, Ben Grimm, Ant-Man, and Black Cat get mini-series, the Hellfire Gala 2022 begins, and an evil What If Spider-Man series. Meanwhile, over at DC, 
where things pretty much uh, live and breathe Batman. What we have aside from that more or less is uh, a new Poison Ivy series, Matthew Rosenberg's last issue of Batman. The Dark Crisis begins, Nubia's reign starts, they have a plethora of DC Pride issues and specials, and of course the marriage at the end of Batman Catwoman, which I think we've all been looking forward to since Tom King pretty much had uh, Batman, whatever issue that was, he asked Catwoman to marry him. Uh, We've all been waiting for this moment and it's going to be here in June. I told you we had a lot to look forward to on this episode, so let's do it. But before we do it, I need to plug myself. That's odd way to phrase that. I need to plug my socials. I have Instagram. You can find me at Anna with the comics because that is my name and I you will see I do have the comics. Um, Twitter is Savage She Geek because Sensational was too many letters and my website is sensationalshegeek.weebly.com where I do have highlights on the front page about some characters who are going to be in relevance in the Marvel Universe and the MC slash I guess the MCU. Uh, we got Mad Alan Pryor, aka the Goblin Queen, Ileana Rasputin, aka Magic, and Clea, aka the new Source of Supreme in Marvel in in Marvel Six One Six, and also will hopefully be making an appearance in Multiverse of Madness. She is the thing that I'm looking forward to most in that movie. So you can imagine if they don't do it well. We don't need to think about that. Uh, you can also find on my website pod notes, which are the podcast notes that I kind of go off of while I record. You there there for people to read instead of listen to the podcast, and also links to everywhere that you can listen to the podcast, which is most podcast opening apps, including YouTube, where I also post figure review videos. My most well, my most recent of which uh, went over the entire action figure collection that I have here at our house with my husband, which was a 40 minute video. And today I went in and added 15 minutes of things that I forgot to put in that video as an addendum, which is posted on YouTube now. I also posted an action figure uh, unboxing review of the animation color Sailor Pluto figure from ACH Figure Arts, which I adore, but you will definitely want to see the details on her before you decide to buy her yourself. If you are looking to support the podcast, I also have a podcast Patreon, which you can find there under Sensational Geek. You can find most things under that. And it is set up for donations to support the podcast. Um, nothing is ever uh, expected or I don't go and check and see if you continue doing it. It's nothing like that. You can really do it however you feel like doing it. Um, and there is also a Kofi Cash App Venmo and all what PayPal and all of that is linked on my link tree, which is at the bottom of each episode's description. Finally, I do have a Redbubble uh, shop. You can find it at SheGeek Shop. Um, and I have a couple of things that are fun on there. My favorite being A Woman's Place is in the comic shop, which is a fun sticker if some people have really enjoyed. Uh, and you can check that out if you enjoy that too. Now, as we start going with the news here, I do have a few podcast updates. Um, first off, make sure that you have checked out all six episodes that I uploaded uh, two weeks ago now, since I skipped last week. I was tired, what can I say? Uh, and those six episodes do include the February and March Yancey Street specials, which are the uh, Patsy Walker and Toxic Romance in comic books for February, and the introduction to Clea, the new Marvel Sorcerer Supreme for March. 
Speaking of the specials, the next specials will be, I'm going to be doing one on the Batman with my husband. I'm also going to be doing one eventually when, hopefully by the time we get to the Batman one, we'll we'll do the Spider-Man one at the same time. He's been supposed to be doing these with me, uh, but it's hard when you have different work schedules. Um, and I have the Ileana Project is my Ileana Rasputin introduction that I will have coming out in April before New Mutants number 25, which is going to start a whole new era apparently uh, for for Ileana fans to have fun with. And then I have um, the Marvels is happening in early May, so I'm going to be doing an intro to them. And then June, uh, I was planning on doing the She-Hulk one, but things have changed. So we are going to be doing a full Patsy Walker introduction and overview for June in preparation for the Iron Man Hellcat Annual Number 1, which is a special that I am severely looking... Can you severely look forward to something? I don't know, but I am. Meanwhile, the next episode that is going to be posted is going to be a regular episode, unless we do the special this coming weekend. The next regular episode will be Monday the 28th, which will also be the last episode before Moon Knight starts. So the next episode, the first episode of April, is going to actually be covering the Moon Knight premiere. Um, and to fill time on the, in the next one before we get to that, we'll probably finally talk on all the comics that I've missed discussing lately uh, for in that episode because I've been caught up in all this other stuff. So without further ado, we have the Women's History Month headlines, which is just how I wanted to start the news for the episode today. Uh, the first one is a... Um, it's not really related to anything comic booky. I just, I, I heard about it in the news and I feel like that for Women's History Month, this is something that I am required to mention. Um, Encanto is a movie that has caught quite a lot of people by storm, I think. I don't know if anybody who listens to this podcast would be a fan of Encanto. I enjoyed it. I've seen it twice now. Um, apparently the the average number of times that you've seen it, if you've seen it once, is like seven or something. <laughs> Some people like it a lot more than me, which is fine, uh, especially with the world and the state that it is. You, you need to have a release somewhere. Um, anyway, great movie. It's real cute. Lots of good stuff. Um, I did not realize that so many big names were in the cast, the voice actors, uh, specifically in this case, Stephanie Beatrice, who you may recognize from being Rosa on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. She was playing uh, Mirabelle. Mirabelle being the main character of the movie, and you may recall the, what did I refer to it as, um, showstopper song, Waiting for a Miracle, you know, where she has the big, I can't even mimic it. It's, you know, incredible, belting out, full volume, long extended, you know, impressive singing. <laughs> Apparently, uh, Stephanie Beatrice uh, human female recorded that song while in labor. <laughs> she was in labor and it came out the way that it did. I, she must have channeled all of the energy and pain and whoo stuff <laughs> and just put it into the passion of that song because it really shows and I am just boggled by females with that is just absolutely astonishing the the effort and ethics and just 
stick it to your guts. I mean, come on. Look at so look at male soccer players, and then this. Then, then, then meanwhile, Stephanie Beatrice is, is 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 singing like not operettas, but like these wild Disney songs while in labor, about to push a baby out of her crotch. <laughs> I just feel like that needed to be mentioned and appreciated. Um, if you do watch that movie, please. Um, appreciate the music if not for any other reason than that song was recorded while the actress was in goddamn labor. Uh, other things on this podcast that we're going to be discussing in time as we kind of get there is going to be uh, involving Women's History Month. That is, we're going to talk obviously the Ms. Marvel trailer, a She-Hulk representation, which will not be as happy as it sounds, Madame Webcasting, Sexism on the BBC, which is the British Broadcasting... Something. I'm not in England. Female Star Wars leadership and Christina Ricci. Let's talk about TV and movie updates, stuff that we have, uh, news updating shows, and uh, just some fun things. So none of this is rumors, this is all confirmed stuff. So starting off with, uh, actually, let's just list, list what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about in this section uh, a Harley Quinn spinoff, Madam, the Madame Web movie, the first looks of She-Hulk that we've gotten recently, the Dragon Ball movie 2022, the Wayne T. Carr Green Lantern, and the Addams Family on Netflix. So up here with the Harley Quinn spinoff. Now, when I say Harley Quinn spinoff, I am talking the Harley Quinn animated series on HBO Max, which I cannot recommend enough. I feel like if you're the kind of person who doesn't like it, we probably wouldn't get along. Um, in person, I'm sure online we can all be friendly. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's getting a spinoff and it is spinning off about Kite Man, <laughs> which is not a joke. It really is spinning off about Kite Man. Um, it is slated to also appear on HBO Max and it says the series would center around Kite Man owning the iconic Gotham villain hangout Noonan's Bar. The series is currently titled Noonan's. Now, Noonan's Bar is a well-known hangout for the criminal underworld in Gotham City. It first appeared in The Demon Annual in 1993, created by Garth Ennis, who is known for many things, but um, especially Preacher and Punisher, the two that come to mind immediately. Uh, the bar is actually named after the hitman, Sean Noonan. This spinoff was originally announced at South by Southwest during the Not Kidding Around Warner Brothers Animation and the Reimagining of Iconic Characters for Adult Audience panel. That is a mouthful. They couldn't have made that a little bit less? Not Kidding Around Warner Brothers Animation and the Reimagining of Iconic Characters for Adult... I mean, I guess I kind of do that sometimes, but that is a lot. Um, moving on from that, though, what we know about it is the co-creator of the series and the Harley Quinn series, Patrick Schumacher, he put out a statement that he, saying Kite Man, tries to run the bar by himself, but it doesn't turn out so easy. We have Harley and Ivy appear in the first episode, but after that we have different goons and villains appearing every episode with, like, Lex Luthor and Bane. It will kind of be like the cheers for supervillains. The premise of the show, you do have to note, it does sound a lot like the YouTube series The Villain Pub uh, by Tina Alexander and Daniel Baxter, who you may not recognize the names of, but you will know them from their creation of the show How It Should Have Ended. 
also on YouTube. Um, all of that being said, Schumacher also made it clear that the Noonan show was in development, so things can change, or potentially the show may not even happen. It's very much at that level of development still. If you would like to know more about Kite Man, here is the scoop that I have on him. He first appeared in Batman 133, as far back as 1960. He was created by Bill Finger and Dick Sprang. Boy, the names people chose in that day. Uh, the character they made was Charles Brown, known as Chuck. He was a man who arms himself with kite weapons to commit crimes. Uh, he was basically a joke when he was created on purpose. I have a quote here from an article that I came across about Kite Man. He said he generally gets beaten by Batman using his own kites. Decades later, after very little use in Infinite Crisis, the Joker reported that Kite Man was thrown off Wayne Tower without his kite by Deathstroke after he refused to join the new secret society of supervillains. Brown survived but was later captured. To say that he is a low-level villain in the DC universe would have been to talk highly of him. That all having had happened, now Kite Man was picked out by Tom King to bring into the spotlight during his Batman run, as Tom King does tend to like these older, wacky, often overlooked, sometimes for good reason, characters. In King's Batman comics, the modern Charles Brown becomes well known for using the, ki the catchphrase, Kite Man, hell yeah! which Brown started in the comic as a reference to his own son's reaction to the first time he tried flying a kite, which is cute, it's parental love, it's very Tom King, it's right up his alley. Kite Man's story through the war of jokes and riddles of Tom King's Batman arc was emotional, desperate, and full of a desire for revenge, none of which ends up really playing out for Brown. The one thing he does successfully walk away with, though, is notoriety, even if it is just for saying hell yeah, which we did see him do a number of times on the Harley Quinn show, so now you know, that is because of Tom King, and if you see on Twitter, he'll make a joke, Tom King will make a joke about, um, that is his legacy, is Kite Man, hell yeah, and it's pretty funny. As for the Harley Quinn series itself, we are expecting season three to be put on, quote, soon, <laughs> according to Schumacher. Uh, so whatever that means. And uh, we were seeing teases and behind the scenes clips, or uh, we have been seeing them, I suppose, since the end of 2021. So based on that, I would assume we're going to get this by summer or fall at the latest of this year. Lots of big women in the news this week, big women-led projects and such, uh, one of which involves the Madame Web movie. And this week, what we have for the news of that is Sydney Sweeney has joined the cast. If you are unfamiliar with that name, you'll recognize her from starring roles in HBO's The White Lotus, as well as Euphoria. Um, Theories, as of right now, are pretty expected. Uh, the number one probably being Black Cat, followed very closely by Spider-Gwen. It's understandable why people would want those characters to be here, but remember this is a Madame Web movie. Um, so I question the reasoning to have those characters here. Uh, Spider-Gwen more likely, yes, but Black Cat? Mm. Silver Sable? Again. Mm. <laughs> Some people are even suggesting Julia Carpenter, maybe, who she's playing 
Uh, she is the second Spider-Woman and the second Madame Web, uh, and that would be only if Dakota Johnson is playing the first Madame Web, who is canonically, well was, she's dead now, she was canonically an old woman, so I doubt they're going that path. Uh, and she could also be playing Charlotte Witter, who is the fourth Spider-Woman from the comics, as well as the granddaughter of the original Madame Web. Um ages line up a lot better to assume that um, Sidney Sweeney would be playing the Spider-Woman Charlotte Witter and Johnson would be playing the second Madame Webb Julia Carpenter who was also formerly Spider-Woman as opposed to playing the original Madame Webb Charlotte's grandmother because she's not again she's not old <laughs> uh, and to be honest if you haven't caught on to that. I, I do think that it's most likely Charlotte Witter. If I was to make an educated guess as a Madame Web movie, really wouldn't have a need for more directly Peter Parker connected characters like Gwen Stacy, Felicia Hardy, or Sylvia Sablanova. <laughs> Silver Sable's name, did you know that? <laughs> um, on that note, if you would like to get a jump on this being potentially who this character is going to be. Uh, Charlotte Witter's first appearance is the 1999 Amazing Spider-Man number five, written by Howard Mackey. So if you'd like to check that one out. Regardless of who she is playing, I believe Dakota Johnson's role will likely be that of a mentor to the other Spider-Hero characters who are going to be in it, as that is more or less the extent of Madame Webb's role. Uh, let's see, we have also S.J. Clarkson is on board to direct, and Matt Sazamama and Burke Sazama, sorry, and Burke Sharpless are doing the screenplay. Apparently, S.J. Clarkson also directed several episodes of the Netflix Marvel Jessica Jones and Defenders series. I don't have the information on which ones they are, so that could really, really either be good or bad news. Um, but they're keeping things kind of, sort of, somewhat in-house, which hopefully is a good thing. We always have to hope. Next, we're gonna talk about the first looks that we got of the She-Hulk show, specifically She-Hulk herself. There have now been two apparent leaked images of She-Hulk show branded thermoses, of all things. They're both done in the style of those kinds of rendered pre-release posters that Marvel has always hanging around for some reason, um, where it's just like a photo, but it's really heavily rendered. Uh, it's, a, it's just a heavy, heavy render of the real thing. They always look a little bit off, so take everything that you see in them with a grain of salt, I suppose. How she looks in the images is fine. Uh, she's great and smiling, but she doesn't appear to be any larger than the actress herself, uh, who is, I might add, only five foot four inches to compare. I am a somewhat broad-shouldered five foot nine and completely dwarfed Candace Patton in a photo, who is the same height as Tatiana Maslany. I certainly hope you don't think I am the size of a She-Hulk. She should be much, she should dwarf me. <laughs> uh, so, th so that does bring in another concern that I have honestly always had for this show, as many of us I'm sure have. I'd kind of ignored it until now, but if you, if you do go back and watch the teaser that they gave us for whatever event it was, um, and look at the two teeny little clips in that teaser of uh, we get a tiny look at She-Hulk's physique. Honestly, I am really, really 
really unhappy with what they seem to be giving us. Um, and I'm going to try to do this without sounding like a total tool in any way. I'll do my best. Um, if you look at the clip of her legs, those legs are not muscular. They appear to be toned, but that is an illusion due to her apparent mere lack of body fat, uh, which is incorrect. Fit though she may be, Jen is still a Hulk. The gamma radiation is still physically changing her body to make it stronger. I am not seeing strong in those teeny bits of clips we've seen. I am seeing skinny supermodel. Which, you know, she's skinny and she could be a supermodel, but she's a supermodel who's got like modern proportions. Is that even right? She, she, she's, she's, I mean, if Evangeline Lily stands next to her, she would probably dwarf her. Like, that's, Wasp should not be dwarfing Jen Walters. <laughs> um, and this brings up, honestly, a larger point about the MCU, that it's, it's gotten so big that they're, they're having trouble in the way I see it, keeping up with expectations that's coming now from all ends, which in turn has kind of made the movie's as reaction be a bit overdone in my opinion for example i find myself not very excited at all about multiverse of madness the only things that i'm really waiting on right now um i'm curious about what it is that's going to end up happening uh i want to see certain things and i would want to see clea i want to see various characters if I don't see those things, I'll probably be extremely disappointed, especially for Clea. Like, come on, she is the number one romance in Doctor Strange history. Second movie and you still have not even mentioned her name. Plus, a ton of the movie seems to be taking place in the Dark Dimension, so that would just be ridiculous not to see the princess of the Dark Dimension. <laughs> um, but I digress. I am more looking forward to, in the MCU, the individual character moments, like Kamala's journey that we're going to see in Ms. Marvel, um, unraveling the mystery of what's happening in Moon Knight, etc. The, the, the bigger, like, wild, world-changing stuff is not hitting for me the way that it did directly post-Endgame. Um, and we'll see how that kind of goes as we move forward with more stuff for the MCU. But for right now, I have very little expectation for me liking She-Hulk. In an unfortunate bit of news on the Dragon Ball movie that was coming out this year, Dragon Ball Super Superhero has been delayed indefinitely from its release due to a hacking incident at Toei Animation who of course make the series. The story had been developed by the series' original author Akira Tor Toriyama and was scheduled for release in Japan in April, just um, probably at this point less than a month away. Uh, the plot of the story was it was going to center on Gohan and his Namek Namekian martial arts mentor Piccolo and it was going to see the classic, or the return of two classic enemies, uh, the Red Ribbon Army, for vengeance against Goku and his loved ones. I read that wrong. It's just the film sees the classic return of those enemies, the Red Ribbon Army. Okay. Uh, with a new pair of new, even more powerful androids at their command and the form of Gamma 1 and Gamma 2, 
Dragon Ball Super Superheroes first trailer revealed that the film would bring the series into a whole new style of 3D animation in 2022. That was sort of the uh, the rundown that we got for the movie. And now that this hacking has um, has been uh, that has happened, the response to the recent hacking at Toy Animation includes uh, well, what it included was. Uh, the company's private network was accessed by an unauthorized third party and a number of files were compromised. This led to projects like the ongoing popular anime One Piece being placed on indefinite hiatus. Toy Animation apologized to fans for the delay and that while they could not confirm a new release date, assured fans their pre-purchased tickets would be honored when the film finally releases. Which is a statement that really, really puts me in the mindset of... Um, you know, these, the exact details of what was compromised are unknown to the public, so them having pulled the movie and pulled the episodes and blah blah blah, it may not just be a reaction, it might be them being forced into that position because the hack messed them up that badly. Um, and, and no matter what it is, I'm desperately hoping that we get to see that Dragon Ball movie by the end of the year it would be great. Wayne T. Carr's Green Lantern has been seen on the 18th of March, the anniversary of Zack Snyder's Justice League releasing on HBO Max. Actor Wayne T. Carr gave us the first look at what his John Stewart Green Lantern might have looked like in the final production. The scene was him with the scene with him was notoriously left out among other pieces of the movie that were long since promised by the, in the to be in the final version by Snyder. The scene apparently had to stay out of the movie after Warner started seriously planning their upcoming Green Lantern project, which I do admit I would have rather see than a Snyder one. Uh, the picture is literally just his top half standing there in the Green Lantern outfit. Uh, you can check it out on the internet if you want to see it. The upcoming Green Lantern series will be focused on the Green Lantern Corps members, Guy Gardner, Jessica Cruz, Simon Baz, and Alan Scott. It's an interesting cross-section of the Green Lantern Corps, but I would not be surprised at all if characters like Jon Stewart had some kind of roles in the movie as well. Finally, in the section of the news, uh, The Addams Family on Netflix has added a member of the cast, and it is... Christina Ricci, which is significant because she did play Wednesday Adams in the movies, uh, The Adams Family and The Adams Family Values. Uh, she has been cast in an unknown role, so fingers crossed that it is something hilarious and ironic. Also, Christina Ricci in Yellow Jackets put on an absolutely phenomenal performance, um, and I recommend that show to anybody who has a, a solid you know, stomach. You're not going to throw up at the side of weird and gross things on TV. But it's really good, I promise. Moving on to the rumors and theories section of the news segment. <laughs> uh, we're going to start off with some Daredevil show stuff. There is apparently going to be a, quote, reboot of Daredevil on Disney Plus as an MCU show. Knowledge from this comes from Production Weekly, which provides listings of pre-production or in-production projects for film professionals, where it included a section that referred to this just as Daredevil Reboot. It listed a Disney Plus series currently in development with the head of Marvel Studios Kevin Feige and Chris Gary, who apparently was in Marvel's Behind the Mask, 
uh, and they are mentioned as producers. There is no timing given for when the show could begin production, however, nor which actors would be involved. The listing also includes a synopsis for the show, but it appears to be based on descriptions of the original Daredevil Netflix series. My thoughts on this. Assuming this project does get developed and sees the light of day, there is the question of what kind of reboot it will be. Reboots traditionally mean they are starting over from point zero, but in this case I don't think that would make very much sense, especially since the Netflix Marvel shows, including Daredevil, were just added to Disney Plus this past week. At this point, Disney can assume anyone who wants to watch their version of a Daredevil movie will certainly have seen the series by the time theirs comes out. That being said, Multiverse of Madness is coming up and multiversal changes have been made clear options anywhere, so it could very well be a somewhat different Daredevil or Matt Murdock than we saw on Netflix. Charlie Cox appeared as Matt Murdock in No Way Home, and it was more or less clarified he's got his powers and is the same Matt from Netflix. I could see Disney focusing most of an episode, maybe, on a recap of who Matt and Daredevil are, possibly an arc of the story uh, continuing through the series, but then the bulk of it would be just continuing his story. It's also worth noting that the Netflix Daredevil series ended at a very integral part in Matt's story as Daredevil, where Bullseye was taken out but still on the path to becoming more deadly than ever with the uh, surgeries that Fisk was giving him. And Fisk, no doubt, uh, is going to be appearing in the Echo series, so I, I don't see a reason for Disney to want to do a full reboot at all. Just a quick update and laying out any changes clearly as we go along is all they really need to do. The work has already been done for them. There is some new discussion happening about the forthcoming Craven movie. I had talked before about Russell Crowe having been cast for this movie on the podcast, but there are some interesting new theories on who he'll be playing, so here we go. My previous leading theory was that Crowe would be playing the original Craven, who has been killed by his clone successor known as the last son of Craven in the comics, from the comics. Uh, who would be the one I would think would be being played by Aaron Taylor Johnson. That would be the Craven he would be. Uh, now that clone <laughs> is not to be confused with Alexei Kravenov, probably Kravenov, honestly, Craven's actual son who took up his father's mantle, or Vladimir Kravenov, another son of his known as the Grim Hunter. And there's also Anna Kravenov, Craven's daughter, who later also becomes Craven. Russian families, what can I say? Uh, also, Sasha Kravinov is the mother of Anna and Vladimir, so that's another character you want to keep. You may want to keep in your wheelhouse if this is going to end up being a hardcore, like, Russian Craven family kind of thing. Um, we're also hearing rumors that Russell Crowe might be playing the original Silver Sable, aka Ernst Sablanova. I had already mentioned Silver Sable earlier. Uh, Ernst is her father. Um, he's a father, obviously, of the current Silver Sable. This theory honestly sticks really well with me because they are all really big Russian crime families in the comics. Kravinov and Sablanova basically came to the US and were supervillains of legacy through various things that they do. And to back up um, really any of these theories, honestly, um, <laughs> he's, he's, he's probably going to be either 
the original Craven or Ernst Sablonova. That seems to be like the most solid theories. And to back them both up, to be honest, um, we already have someone who has been cast as Chameleon, who is Craven's half brother keeping it in the family here and I'm excited about that. I, I have no expectations for the Craven movie to make any kind of connections to the broader Marvel stuff, be that with Sony or Netflix or it's not even Netflix now or Sony or Disney or whatever. I, I don't expect to get much out of that. What I really am curious about this movie for at this point is this very complicated like crime family sort of thing. They're not really a crime family but they're like I want to say mob family, but that's not quite it either. <laughs> there's a probably a, there's probably a word that'll fit what I'm looking for. That I'll think of right after I'm finished recording this, but um, but that's that's what I'm kind of learning to look forward to for this Craven movie is the like the family dynamics sort of stuff. The big Russian family who come to America and we do our work here. I'm sorry, I apologize for that. Oh, and before anybody asks, no, I do not think we're gonna see any of the Black Widow Russians in that. Okay. A little bit less on the excited side of news. Uh, we have some Doctor Who news. Uh, which is really not something I was... <sighs> yes, I put this in the rumor section, but this is an intox. This is an intox rumors. This is a rumor that has been picked up that we're waiting to find out if it's true. Um, which is unfortunate because the rumors... <laughs> I'm so sorry. Hugh Grant is apparently in talks to be the new Doctor Who as the sci-fi series gets a Marvel-style makeover. That's the headline. <laughs> and to be honest, I cannot bring myself to read the articles about it because I have such a distaste for this entire idea. This whole thing is just... Every cell in my body is just trying to make it stop. It's... Oh god, no. I can't imagine how bad this would be. The only other detail that I do have is that uh, the showrunner Russell T. Davies, or Davis, I'm honestly not sure if it's Davies or Davis, uh, but he's apparently returning. Um, and this is all his, like, brainchild that he's bringing with him. And I'm gonna cry. I'm not gonna cry. I'm not that into Doctor Who, but this is, like, the worst. Um, I, moving directly into, from a woman of any kind, move, moving from that directly into a very Hollywood, very straight white man is a travesty. The indie movie, indie TV show corny nature of Doctor Who is a massive part of the classic draw to the show it has been since the beginning. And this sounds like they are going directly against it. It also screams incredibly loudly, we think we made a mistake with the lady doctor. Because if they're, they're literally going from her to do a series 180 with a big Hollywood name and a big Hollywood style, that is literally the opposite of everything Doctor Who stands for. Um, on that note, I really, really liked Jodie Whittaker's Doctor Who. If you're a fan of Doctor Who and you have not watched it, the things that you heard about it being bad were not true. I am, like, I was in shock. I had heard so many things, specific things, about why it was bad. And when I finally ended up watching it myself, 
not a one of those things turned out to be true. It was stuff like, oh, she spends the entire first season forgetting who she was and she doesn't know who she is or where she's... That's not true. Oh, they wiped away all the classic characters from Doctor Who in the past and there's no references to any other stuff from... That's not true either. None of that was true, but I heard those from multiple sources. There were articles about it. Not true in the slightest. It was like there was a campaign on the internet to get as little viewership to her run as possible. I know that's going to sound weird and paranoid, but I swear to God, this, like, anti-Jodie Whittaker Doctor Who, like, trend has become so strong that after I watched the series and was like, holy shit, this is amazing. This is my favorite Doctor Who since I started watching Doctor Who and, and like, you know, Matt Smith and David Tennant and the rest was, you know, meh. She is my third favorite Doctor. You get Matt Smith, you get David Tennant, and you get Jodie Whittaker. I think she's fantastic. She's also, in my opinion, a phenomenal crossover of those two actors and how they portrayed their Doctor. She took and what I see it saw to be their best characteristics of them being the doctors and put them all in her take on the doctor. And that was fantastic. But this negativity towards the idea, the mere idea of her being the doctor is so strong among so much of the fandom. My sister has seen all Doctor Who, the old series and the modern series. Um, made, she, she hand made a scarf to look like that super long scarf the one dude has, you know, um, went to England and took pictures with the, with the police boxes. You know, she is hardcore, hardcore to Doctor Who. Um, but she didn't watch the Jodie Whittaker series. And when I mentioned to her that I really enjoyed it and, you know, all these things that I heard were, ended up not being true, her response was, well, I guess I admired them for trying to do something different. My entire point was that they didn't try to do something different. All they did was put a female in there that's really not trying something different. I, I've, been, I've gone on about this for too long now, but I'm just incredibly disappointed to have found this news this morning. Um, I can't imagine how horrible Hugh Grant would be as a doctor. I just... <laughs> I that's not I was laughing there. <laughs> um real bad, real bad. Just <laughs> Marvel style makeover of Doctor Who. Oh my god, I'm gonna vomit. Let's move on to something better, and that better thing is the future of Jedi Windu. Samuel L. Jackson has reportedly already spoken to Bryce Dallas Howard. Yay, female directors, about Mace Windu potentially returning in the Ahsoka show. Yay, female leads. Um, fans have been theorizing that Windu survived his fall from Chancellor from the Chancellor's quarters on Coruscant for since it happened. They even went as far as to assume that Finn was his son after the first trailers of The Force Awakens. Star Wars is not known for its variety of people of color. Um, there was even that one bit in uh, Rise of Skywalker where you had the um, the two characters and for whatever reason the two black characters who meet randomly after having random lives out there in random parts of space apart from each other. Disney comes out afterwards like, oh yeah, they're father and daughter. Really? <laughs> Way to make that part of your universe smaller. God damn, Disney. Um, but yeah, so... 
you know, people thought Finn would be his son. Totally would have been a Disney thing to do, honestly. Um, but he's a fan favorite character for his lightsaber, his Jedi tricks, and of course for Samuel L. Jackson even playing him. I have seen a lot of articles in the past week talking about how he might have survived, but I think that's missing the point. I, I don't think it matters how. It matters that he did and what he did after to survive the Jedi calling. I've also seen a lot of articles debating whether it would be good or bad to bring him back, and to that I say, they put fucking Luke Skywalker CGI'd into the Mandalorian. I think we can find an excuse to bring Mace Windu back, and I bet it would be way better than somehow Mace Windu has returned. Because Palpatine, you know, worst line in Star Wars ever. <laughs> laziest writing in Star Wars ever. Um, so the way that I see it, winding all this down, the way that I see it, um, all of those concerns of how and why, and if it's a good idea or a bad idea, it can really just be squelched easily with the right story. It gives us the reason, if they, if they give us a reason to need Windu back, give us a gap that he fills in someone's time of crisis. If you give solid reasons for bringing him back, it doesn't matter how out there his return is, because it'll matter in the moment that he mattered in the moment that it mattered. Yeah. Now, I am so excited to talk about the Ms. Marvel trailer. It came out, I think, last week. Um, and I am super duper excited. Um, let's talk first. The first thing to, to mention is the description that Disney Marvel has given us for the movie. Their thing says, an avid gamer and voracious fan fiction scribe, Kamala is a superhero mega fan with an oversized imagination, particularly when it comes to Captain Marvel. Yet Kamala feels like she doesn't fit in at school and sometimes even at home, that is, until she gets superpowers like the hero she's always looked up to. Life gets better with superpowers, right? That's their little spiel they gave us. Um, so if you watch the trailer, there is a lot of really cool stuff to talk about. And I'm just going to start off with a big one there, the Nega Bands. Um, as an explanation for what that means, if you don't know, those are the wrist cuff things she puts on in the trailer. Uh, Nega Bands in the comics are an ancient relic of the Kree Empire that grant their wearers superpowers, um, like enhanced strength and energy manipulation. The Nega Bands are more of... They, um, they give you stronger whatever it is that you have. They give you a lot stronger powers. Then there's also the quantum bands, which are more like giving somebody with no powers powers. So it can be a bit of a mix-up of the two of them, depending on how all this, all this ends up being. Um, in the trailer, at first I thought that she found them in her parents' attic, in her family's home. Um, because they looks like she's in some kind of attic and they look like they're connected to her family cultural heritage in some way based on the design. Um, but then I was, I, I think it's probably, she finds them in the mosque or something because of points I'll get to in a little bit. Um, the mosque seems to be really relevant to, um, there's going to be some relevant stuff happening while she's there. Uh, based on a couple of the clips that you can see in the trailer. But anyway, I believe she found them in the mosque storage area or something. Um, now, here's my theory about Ms. Marvel <laughs> that I'm really excited about. Um, 
I think they're doing the Carol thing, the Carol Danvers thing, to explain that. When Carol Danvers first became Ms. Marvel, she was brought into the comics just as Carol Danvers. Um, she was in the, in the in the military, I believe, in the Navy. No, in the Air Force. That's what it was. She was in the Air Force. God, I suck. I should have known that. Um, and then when she first becomes Ms. Marvel, some t- years after her first appearance in the comics, in, Ms. Mar- in, 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 in Captain Marvel comics, um, she turns out to become Ms. Marvel. Uh, and how that happens is because she, at one point, got between uh, Captain Marvel, who was Marvel at the time, and a device called the Psych Magnetron. And long story short, shirt, long story short, it was explained that she became imbued with Kree genetics from him because of that. Now, decades later, which was 2000, I want to say 17 or something, it ends up being revealed that while those events did occur and it did trigger her powers, she has always been half Kree. Her mother was Kree. So her powers were always there, they were always dormant, and that incident with Marvel and the Psych Magnetron simply woke them up. So what I'm saying here about Kamala, I think Kamala's gonna find those wristband thingies, the Nega bands, the quantum bands, whatever they're gonna call them, um, and they're gonna be something, you know, that th- she's gonna think that's some cool thing you know, connected to, you know, her culture or whatever, but then she's gonna discover the powers. And the powers are obviously gonna be attributed to the bands, but I think then it's going to be revealed by the end of the series that the powers were her the whole time and the bands were just there to reveal them or help her control them or something like that. There's even a character who I did some research on. I'm not sure who she is, but her name on the captions on YouTube was Najma. Um, and she asked Kamala, do you know what you are? She's not saying who you are, what you are. Uh, I think feel like that just adds to my theory. Um, if she has some, you know, thing in her family that gets passed down and for generations they forgot about it because, you know, they, they tried to, 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 um, to like push it down and pretend it wasn't there. So it eventually kind of was forgotten about and was never an issue. And now Kamala will be the first one who like discovers this power within her blood again. That's like what I'm thinking is going to be what's going on here. And to add to that also... There are these movie rumors um, that are floating around the internet. Clandestine. It's not clandestine. It's clandestine. (laughs) They're a family of so-called mystics who are rumored to be... um, It's rumored they're going to be woven into Kamala's origin in the show, in the MCU. Now, who are clandestine? Well, good question. They are super-powered progeny of a man called Adam of Destin. And a, a female uh, creature, a female being called Alalith, who is a jinn, jinn, um, who is, of course, a um, female genie. Very interesting. Yes, a call comes from um, South Asia. Very interesting. Uh, their history basically is just that she saved him on his journey for whatever he was doing and they became lovers. That was back in the 1100s. It's been a day or two since then. <laughs> uh, and then later on, Adam was, um, well, before that, he was an English crusader who um, he meets her, blah, blah, blah. And after they meet, he journeys all across Asia. It's very tied into um, especially South Asian culture. Like Kamala. So 
I'm just saying, <laughs> um, if clandestine is going to be some family of mystics who are looking for their long lost, you know, member, and <laughs> Kamala ends up being the one, because she's a long lost daughter of Adam and Elalith, the jinn. I'm just saying, it's right there. But that's what I mean, this is kind of theory that I will genuinely be dis disappointed if I'm wrong, because it's a fucking great theory. Tooting my own horn here. <laughs> now, there have been some points of quote-unquote controversy surrounding this show. Now, I've picked out the two that are the loudest. Um, there are some things that I think it's a bit too early to judge, so I haven't I haven't gone in to mention those because I don't honestly know enough about it and we haven't seen enough about it based on one trailer. Uh, but here's two of the points of controversy, apparently, that people are just deciding that they're going to fight. Uh, the first is her powers... Uh, well, no, that's wrong. Sorry. The first one is they're saying that she needs to have the ability to transform from herself into a blonde-haired, blue-eyed girl to... Um, experience that and then in turn discover that she too can be a hero as a brown girl from Jersey, which is a line they use in the trailer. Um, and I'm very curious to see how that whole conversation goes in the scene that she says that line. But anyway, uh, that is one point of controversy. People want her to be able to physically transform and to have the experience of um, feeling important that way. I, it makes a lot more sense if you read Ms. Marvel number one, which is when this happens. <laughs> um, but just looking at the trailer, I think that it is definitely, it's way too early to assume, and I think it's not at all difficult to assume, um, that there is going to be quite a bit of um, funky mind funkiness, you know, going on. And through that, I have no doubt that they could have her literally see herself as a blonde-haired, blue-eyed white girl for a little bit, um, based on all of the kind of, like, cosmic dimension-changing stuff that we saw in the trailer very briefly, but if you watched it, it's there. Um, so I definitely think that she's gonna hallucinate or something, and that doesn't need to be a point of controversy. Stop jumping to conclusions based off the first trailer. Uh, the other point being, her powers aren't right and people don't like that. Well, first of all, that's not what makes Kamala an important character. Second, how would they have done that in the movie, in the, in the MCU, and made it look halfway decent? It not, it's not possible. Not with our technology. And third, even if she isn't physically transforming, looking at clips from the trailer, she does the embiggening by extending her limbs with those powers. Nothing is ever 100% accurate to the comics version. Just take a chill pill. Now, let's go through some notes of things that I noticed in the trailer. Uh, first off, there's some Easter eggs and stuff in here. So first one being, uh, if you look early on in the trailer, the guidance counselor's nameplate has GWW on it. That is for G. Willow Wilson, who created Kamala. As I already mentioned before, she does say the line of um, paraphrasing, but basically how heroes, superheroes are not brown girls from Jersey. Um, I definitely think her saying that the negabands feel cosmic is definitely going to come into play in a big way. Uh, there is a little bit where you can see the FBI or some police-looking uh, SUVs and stuff rolling up to her family's mosque and storming in, which we'll have to see what's going on there. 
Uh, there's also a scene where you can see her, uh, some things like shaking and there's this light. If you pause it there, that is a portal opening up in her kitchen. Not a clue why. But there is a portal that opens up in her kitchen. Um, her powers look like crystals, which is kind of cool. Um, and it looks like she can use them into shields or steps or energy fields. Um, it also does look like she is in a mosque when she is early and trying them out. Made me think possibly that's where she finds them. Uh, we do see Bruno, who is her buddy in the know of who she is, Miss Marvel. Uh, he's a future love interest of sorts, and he uh, is seen helping her crush um, when on the subway. It seems that they're under attack, and he helps him out. Uh, and then we also see Nakia, who is her best friend. Um, I believe she dates Bruno at one point, too. Um, but the three of them hang out at the... Oh, no, she doesn't. That's... That's a different friend, sorry. The three of them hang out at the local Circle Q, which you also see blowing up in the trailer. There are four figures standing in smoke in one very brief clip. My guess is this is clandestine. Whether or not they're villains or not, honestly, who's to say? Uh, we see a bit of villagers leaving their homes, possibly in Pakistan. Uh, some clips of what looks like her brother's wedding, most likely the culmination of events. Um... You get things getting blasted by her powers or something very similar. Um, I couldn't quite tell, but it was possibly a clip of her setting off an energy blast to lift a car off of someone. It was kind of hard to tell. Um, there are probably going more than likely there's going to be a couple of different phases for her costume. The final version that we see on the lampposts. Uh, it looks professionally made, maybe by somebody local or family knows. And I'm guessing that one, we will not see that until the final episode, much like most other of these MCU shows, they don't pull out the final look till the finale. Um, we also see Kamala wear, she's at school wearing a t-shirt where it, that says, get in formation. And it has some super heroines uh, standing together in a reference to Beyonce's formation, which is kind of cute. Uh, and then there is a winged sloth in her journals, the winged sloth in Ms. Marvel comics. I'm not sure what the whole story is behind it, but it's something that uh, appears among her. You know, she's got like a little winged sloth stuffed animal. She hallucinates one during the vision thing that happens in the beginning. It's, it's a repeating character without really being a character. Um, and the poster, I have a couple more thoughts here. The poster that they have put out and we saw play out in the trailer of Ms. Marvel sitting on a street lamp, that is a exact cover grab from Ms. Marvel number five, the first series. Um, I think that was the first series. I'm pretty sure that's the first series. Um, the trailer itself seems to be set up to portray a teen coming of age show. Um, but from a perspective that is clearly going to be relatable to all ages. They did not make this just for kids. Uh, Cameron is an inhuman in the comics who was cast for the show as actor Rish Shock. Uh, inhumans are not really a thing in the MCU, so they're going to have to give him some other origin. But he is a power dude who sort of becomes very, very briefly a romantic interest for Kamala, but then... Um, figuratively stabs her in the back and kind of ends it there. Uh, Zoe Zimmer has also been ca cost. 
has also been cast as Laurel Marsden. Uh, she is Kamala's biggest rival. And a casting call had gone out at one point for a character called Birdman, who is likely the villain from the comics known as the Inventor, who he himself is a Birdman. He is a clone of Thomas Edison, believe it or not, but the DNA sample was contaminated by cockatiel DNA. So he's got a cockatiel head. <laughs> in the Ms. Marvel comic, he stations up in Jersey and experiments on seemingly willing youths. Obviously, she takes problem with that because, you know, killing kids with their permission is still killing kids. <laughs> um, and then Aramis Knight was cast as Red Dagger, who in the comics is a Pakistani vigilante we see uh, meet Ms. Marvel a couple of times. We also see him briefly in this trailer as uh, the dude with the lower face mask who is apparently fighting Kamala in like a train station or something. Now, what does all of this add up to? The finale. What does all of this very long discussion of the Ms. Marvel show mean? Looks like we've got a really well-rounded show coming, I'm not gonna lie. I'm pretty much convinced of my theory on her powers, uh, but either way, I think we have a lot to look forward to with Kamala, and this is gonna be a great start for her. As promised, we are also going to discuss the Obi-Wan Kenobi trailer. This will be coming out on Disney Plus May 25th, is what I think the date is. Um, but obviously crazy excited for this one as well. Um, so we'll go through some points from the trailer. Won't be quite as long as the Ms. Marvel discussion, I think, but, uh, they'll still be good. Starting off with the return of John Williams. Um, a quote from some dude on Reddit that <laughs> was pretty funny was, crazy how the duel of fates can still give me goosebumps from the first note two decades later. The Duel of Fates, of course, being the song that John Williams composed for the fight in episode one between Qui-Gon Jinn, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and um, Darth Maul, um, who people really wanted to see in this show, but it seems like it's very unlikely we're going to see in this show, so we'll just address that now. Um, but that, that song that plays over that scene is The Duel of Fates. It is fantastic. Um, John Williams is it's so good to see how loved he is in the fandom in fact i would go i would definitely go as far as to say uh john williams's score is the only thing the entire star wars fandom can agree on only thing uh moving on from that though we enter into the trailer coming across the tatooine desert uh, where we see Obi-Wan riding one of those funky space camels. I'm sure they have names. Uh, he has exiled himself here and Luke technically with him to this planet. Uh, we see clips of him kind of exploring the markets of Tatooine, watching young Luke play like he's on a speed rider, but he's just sitting there. He's a stupid little kid. Um, <laughs> uh, Uncle, Uncle Luke. Uncle Luke lived with Uncle Owen, which of course we knew before. Um, there's also a voiceover from Obi-Wan. It's a very slow voiceover, dramatic. It says, the war is over. We lost. Stay hidden. No doubt that is him talking to or sending a message to another Jedi or a Jedi sympathizer. We also get to see for the first time in live action, I, I think for the first time in live action, yeah, Fortress Inquisitorious, which comes from the video game Star Wars Jedi 
uh, sorry, Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. I said I was going to say it wrong. Um, the Fortress Inquisitorius is the Dark Force user's base of operations. Speaking of which, the Inquisitors are also going to have their first live action time on screen. Um, they have been a fan favorite set of characters in Star Wars media and lore aside from this though, so people are very excited and I am definitely one of them. Um, they are often disillusioned Jedi or other kinds of force users who are taken in by the dark side to wipe out your former allies or, you know, people you used to do force stuff with. Anybody who you know is also force sensitive and not on your side, basically. Um, we know here that we have the Grand Inquisitor. Um, I had the name of the actor who was playing him, but I seem to have lost it. Sorry. Um, and then we have Fifth Brother, who is making an appearance being played by Sung Kang. And Moses Ingram is an actress who is playing um, an original character for the series called Inquisitor Reva. She ranks as the third sister in the Inquisitorious hierarchy. And that would have been behind the second sister, Trilla Suduri, who was killed by Darth Vader in Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Um, which I guess this takes place after that fact. The Grand Inquisitor has some really um, interesting voiceover during the trailer. The first line, now some people think that first line is actually Sidious speaking. Um, Darth Sidious, I'm not sure about that one, but the first line is, the key to hunting Jedi is patience. You can see why you know, people would think that maybe that would be him based on what it's saying. Um, but then it goes on and it is the Grand Inquisitor then who says, Jedi cannot help what they are. Their compassion leaves a trail. The Jedi Code is an itch. He cannot help it. So first off, when it says their compassion leaves a trail, uh, it shows a body, the lower half of a body hanging from something. No doubt somebody was hung by the Inquisitors for helping or harboring information on Jedi. Um, and the bit about he cannot help it, that just tells me that he is talking specifically about Obi-Wan, not just the Jedi in general. So this isn't just going to be Obi-Wan trying to like casually keep out of things. They are hunting him down. They are, they know he's there and they are trying to find him actively. Um, and that speech really, it, to me, it really rubs in just how evil the Inquisitors are. I'm sure one hanging body is not going to be the worst thing that they do to this village in their hunt for Obi-Wan. And of course, at the end of the trailer, the Darth Vader heavy breathing in the end. We all know Hayden Christensen will be appearing as Vader in this, and we could not be more excited about it. This is such a long time coming. It's his his portrayal of Anakin has become one of those things of legend where we hated it when we first saw it, but now that you know we've all grown and learned things, uh, you have to love the actors and. Um, they were just doing their jobs, you know? <laughs> and so it's really great to see people so excited that Hayden Christensen is coming back for Vader. There does seem to be a lot of locations that the show is spread across, so Obi-Wan will probably have to go to some pretty great lengths to keep his secret and to keep Luke and Leia's secret safe as well. 
One such location is Dayu, D-A-I-Y-U, and writer Joby Harold described this planet, which we haven't seen yet in the Star Wars universe, to Entertainment Weekly as having a, quote, Hong Kong feel to it. It's got a graffiti-ridden nightlife, and it's kind of edgy. It's just got a different lane and a different feeling. In my opinion, it's what he what he's trying to say here is that it looks very Blade Runner, but I don't think he can say that because I'm pretty sure Warner owns Blade Blade Runner. Runner, oh my God, words. Uh, but yes, I very much like the world design. I think it's excellent. I think it's extremely Star Wars. Um, lastly, there are theories that this trooper that we see. Um, very briefly from behind, kind of at the butt level. People, some people think that might be Han Solo. I think that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Um, <laughs> more likely it's going to be Commander Rex if it's anybody who's relevant. It's very likely it's literally just some random stormtrooper. Um, but I can see Rex being an option in the show for sure. People have already talked about him in the Ahsoka show, which is a lot further down the line. So between Ahsoka show or the Obi-Wan Kenobi show, I think it's definitely more likely to see him here. Additionally, Tamora Morrison, who plays, um, well, the clones, <laughs> he plays Boba Fett, so it would only make sense he would play the live, the, play the live action Commander Rex as well. Uh, he his like standard look would make the perfect age for the kind of older Rex that we would see in this era. So that's that's just something to keep in mind. Now, the last little bit of news here is going to be uh, focusing on comic book updates. We have a couple of categories I'm going to go over here. The first being the Riddler Year One, and then DC Pride variants, Marvel Pride variants, and the X-Men Hellfire Gala 2022 variants. So starting off with the Riddler Year One, this one is not going to be talked about in today's solicitations because it's not coming out until October, but it is gaining a lot of traction in the news because it will be written by Paul Dano, who of course plays the Riddler in Matt Reeves' The Batman. Um, I never thought that people would really get on to Paul Dano like he's hot shit, but he has some crazy fans on Twitter right now. <laughs> Who would thunk that? Um, I just think it's funny because it's that line from, um, oh god, uh, it's a line from Zoolander. That Hansel's so hot right now. <laughs> that Riddler's so hot right now. That's 100% what goes through my head every time I see people being like, oh wow, Paul Dano, the Riddler was fantastic. And I I love I love the Riddler. He's my favorite Batman villain. Since when? <laughs> For the DC Pride variants this year, if you are looking to find them, there are variants by Amy Reader on Batman 124, David Talaski on Superman Son of Kal-El number 12, Derek Charm on Action Comics 1044, Joe Phillips on Aquaman number 5, Kevin Wada on Nubia Queen of the Amazons number 1. Chris Anka on Poison Ivy number one, Nick Robles on Nightwing number 93, Nicole Gu on Wonder Woman 788, Olivia Coppell on Harley Quinn 16, and finally Stephen Byrne on Multiversity Teen Justice number one. Marvel's Pride variants. Similarly, we have for Captain America Sentinel Liberty of One, uh, we have the Pride cover by Aaron Fisher. Uh, Oh, of Aaron Fisher. My bad. 
So I don't have the artist for these. So, okay. So X-Men number 12 will have Dakin. Thor number 26 will have the Valkyrie Runa. Avengers Forever number 7 will have Somnus, their new character who they made a mutant. Marvel's Voices Pride number 1. Um, it just says annual one show. Oh, it's because it's, it's going to have a bunch of people on the cover. Marauders number 4 is going to have Iceman. Um... Immortal X-Men number four is going to have Destiny. New Mutants 27 will be Karma. And Thunderbolts number two will be America Chavez. Now these were, let me think, this was by, uh, the, the artists doing these are Betsy Cola and Luciano, is that right? Yeah, Luciano Vecchio. Um, I don't particularly like Luciano Vecchio's art. But the Betsy Cola ones are killer. Finally, we'll talk about the Hellfire Gala 2022 real quick before we get into those variants. Uh, there is some quote here from Marvel, I guess. Um, yeah. This year's Hellfire Gala will once again be a night overflowing with action, drama, and fashion. And this, one, and this time around, mutants won't be the only ones slaying the green carpet the green carpet. The the other heroes of the Marvel Universe are getting into the fun with extremely stylish looks of their own, all designed by some of the industry's most inventive artists. Superstar Russell Donnerman returns to lead the campaign to elevate Marvel Comics fashion like never before, alongside artists Carmen Carnero, Iban Coelho, Chris Bacello, Jen Bartel, Mateus Manhini, Manhanini, Mohamed Asrar, Miguel Mercado, Megan Hetrick, Inyuk Lee, and Eric Durso. Com combining real fashion trends with classic superhero aesthetics, mutant power signatures, and more, these bold takes on your favorite Marvel characters will be seen in, the, in both the upcoming X-Men Hellfire Gala one-shot and a series of 20 gorgeous variants throughout June. What Dodderman has to say is, I'm thrilled to be back designing costumes for the mutants, and this year we're expanding to include more of the Marvel Universe. I jumped at the chance to design one of my favorite characters, Scarlet Witch. I'm lucky to be in such stellar company surrounded by the other artists working on this project. I've been excited this time. I've I've been excited every time new art shows up in my mailbox. I can't wait for everyone to see. So what we have here, we have Namor on the Shang-Chi number 13 cover by Chris Bacello. Forge on X-Force number 25 by Miguel Mercado. Cyclops on X-Men number 12 by Inyuk Lee. Spider-Man on ASM number 5 by Russell Dodderman. Captain Marvel, for some reason, on Black Panther number 7 by Erica Derso. Fantastic Four number 45 shows Doctor Doom by Russell Dodderman. Iron Man is on Iron Man number 21 by Iban Coelho. Black Widow is on Miles, for some reason, Miles Morales' Spider-Man 39 by Russell Dodderman. Scarlet Witch is on Moon Knight 12 by Russell Dodderman. And Wolverine is on Wolverine 22 by Russell Dodderman. There's more. Captain America is on Avengers 57 by Carmen Carnero. Uh, Mateus Ma... Nope, that's another... Oh, okay. Uh, the other Captain America will be on Symbol of Truth number 2 by Mateus Manhanini. Uh, Gambit will be on Gambit number two by Russell Dodderman. She-Hulk on Hulk number eight for Russell Dodderman. Uh, Rogue on Knights of X three by Mahmoud Asrar. Sync on Marauders number four with Russell Dodderman. Jean Grey on X-Men Red number four by Jen Bartel. And finally, the last three. Uh, Havoc on Legion of X number three by Russell Dodderman. Magic on New Mutants 27 by Russell Dodderman. And finally... 
Immortal X-Men will be Emma Frost, designed by Megan Hetrick. That was really fun to see her process in her um, Discord to design that. So that's what you got to look forward to in coming months of Marvel and DC covers. I only have a couple of comic book picks here to talk about. We'll start off with Trail of the Amazons number one, which is part one of the series. Um, they're basically all the Amazon tribes, the, Esqu the Esquicida, the Themyscirans, and the Banamigdal Amazons have all come together to see who's going to be the new guardian for Doom's Doorway. And then afterwards, they're going to name a queen who's going to be like the queen of all Amazons. So... Um, so it was a good issue. Uh, Diana's finally back on Themyscira after such a long time away. I don't really like the fight, the infighting that is happening amongst them. Um, I just, I'm not really a fan of that kind of plot of the kind of petty drama stuff. Um, but the issue ends with the death of Hippolyta. So that's interesting. I got to catch up with the others to see what happens next. Thor number 22 um, he uses the Bifrost to cage Mjolnir, which we'll just go with that, I guess. Sure, why not? And then he takes it to Nivaldir and breaks it. And then Angela and her angels put it back together and she Batmans the fuck out of there. And Odin's soul is now in Mjolnir. Well, the hammer now that it is. Gwen first number one, the art was really good. Uh, per usual, Gwen's personal life in her Earth 35 is falling apart. Um, as she tries to be more involved in her superhero one, which does spread across two dimensions now. The fact that I know this was written by a middle-aged man uh, does make this comic very unsettling, <laughs> so try to ignore that. Um, anyway, uh, Spider-Gwen falls into a Spider-Verse portal and is rescued by Spider-Zero, who is connected to the web of life somehow. When they get back to Earth-65, however, it's completely different and her dad is a robot cop. Spider-Zero says that there's time web stuff going on and the next thing you know, we got Thor-Gwen, Gwendolyn Janis of Earth-65, but she's just another Gwen. Gwens have impermeated time. It's fine. It's whatever. <laughs> Let's move on, honestly. <laughs> We're going to speed through the comic book polls because I still have to go over the Marvel and DC in June. Uh, this week, for the top three uh, Women's History Month titles of the week, we have Demon Days Blood Pewed number one by Peach Momoko. This is five of five of the Demon Days saga of Peach Momoko telling, um, well, not telling, but re retelling, rewriting the, the histories of the characters in a uh, kind of traditional Japanese way. And it has been completely fantastic this week or this last issue. We have covers by Bjorn Berens, Giri Hiro, Mike Del Mundo, Adi Grenov, and Bill Sienkiewicz. Trial of the Amazons, Wonder Girl number one of two is part uh, four, I believe, of Trial of the Amazons. Yes, part four. It is written and drawn by Joel Jones with art by Jordi Belair. Monstrous number 38 is by Marjorie Liu and Sana Takeda. They are a fantastic female team. This is coming from Image Comics. David Desmalkian is back with a new volume of Count Crowley this week. It's called Amateur Midnight Monster Hunter. This will be alongside Lucas Kettner at Dark Horse. It says it's been a hell of a week for Jerry Bartman. She lost her job, crashed her car, and the only gig available hosting the Midnight Monster Show. And, oh yeah, dis dismembered a zombie. No big deal. Now to protect the people she loves, she's going to have to take a crash course in monster hunting. 
Beyond the Beyond number one is a wa- is a one shot from Scout Comics, from Brian Peed Peed, and Odemar. Oh gosh, no, I'm wrong about that. Brian Peeb Odemar Odiamar. Nova Vega is a teenage idealist who resides on a mining colony run by the oppressive Omni Corporation. Nova is disenchanted by her prospects of entering the Omni Mining Academy, for she'd much rather go out exploring the stars like her parents before her. We are also introduced to Sirius Vega, Nova's older brother and guardian, who picks her up after she's thrown out of class for insubordination. When an argument between the siblings goes too far, Nova enacts her long-awaited plan to escape. Ghost Cage number one comes from Image Comics by Caleb Golner and Nick Dragoda. This all-new extra-length limited series teams dynamic artist Bloody Blah and rising star Caleb Golner when his megacorp power plant falls under attack by terrorists. The super scientist who revolutionized and controls all energy on Earth sends his ultimate creation, an adequate employee, in to destroy his most monstrous secrets. We Have Demons, number one, from Dark Horse by Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. I'm not going to read you the solicitation of this one because with their reputation, this is going to start off with someone telling the story about their father. I'll try it out, but I have no promises. Getting into things that are not number ones. Bolero, number three, is by Wyatt Kennedy and Luana Vecchio. I absolutely adore this series. It's from Image. I think. It says, Devin's life is back on track. Newly hop-free and surrounded by loving friends and an amazing boyfriend, she's finally found her perfect world, right? Why can't she sleep? Where'd she leave her key? The anti-door is humming louder and someone has to enter it. Funky stuff going on in that series. I dig it. Devil's Reign, X-Men number three of three, comes from Gary Duggan and Phil Noto. The Human Target, number 6 of 12, comes from uh, Tom King and Greg Smallwood for DC Black Label, and the next issue will not be until September. Harley Quinn, number 13, by Stephanie Phillips and Riley Rosmo. This is starting off year two of the series with a new arc and a new villain called Verdict. Iron Man, number 18, is Christopher Cantwell and uh, Lan Medina. However, I am here for Patsy and only Patsy. Finally, Saga 57, uh, it just says long-term relationships are easy. Lying. I have no doubt this is going to be Will and Lion Cat and possibly others, but this is an image comic coming from Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. Let's go ahead and start the Marvel June solicitation, starting with AXE, which is Avengers X-Men Eternals Eve of Judgment, written by Kieran Gillen and Pascal Ferry. We're going to have covers by Carlos Pacheco, John Cassidy, Phil Noto, M.R. Garcin, and there's also going to be a Women of Axe variant and a Men of Axe variant. It says, Shots fired, judgment is coming. The Eternals know that the mutants have conquered death, but what are they going to do about it? The oldest immortals on Earth eye up the newest, and the Doomsday Clock starts ticking towards Judgment Day. We're going to get a five-issue series called Fortnite x Marvel Zero War, and a new Captain America series called Sentinel of Liberty by Colin Kelly, Jackson Lansing, and art by Carpen Carnero. The Daredevil series is restarting with Chip Sartsky and Marco Chiquetto. I don't know why it's restarting because it's the same creative team who are on the last one. But you have variants for number one by John Romita Jr. and John Romita Sr. together, which is pretty cool. Ryan Stegman, David Nakayama, Jorge Fornias, Logan Lubera, Peach Promoco, and Joe Quesada. This is going to be post-Devil's Reign and Matt is back in the cowl. 
Genusville has his first five-issue series, Genusville Captain Marvel. It's going to be by Peter David, with art by Juanan Ramirez. With covers by Torin Clark, Dan Jurgens, Peach Promoco, Juni Ball, and Juan Cabal. Both now back in the land of the living, Genusville and Rick Jones are about to come crashing back into each other. Witness Genusville, Captain Marvel, return to the pages of his very own series. Can Rick Jones save Genusville and himself before they fade out of existence? Defenders Beyond is a new team of defenders where you have Blue Marvel, America Chavez, Galactus's mom, Tigra, Loki, and Doctor Strange from Beyond the Grave, who are teaming up under the writer of Al Ewing and artist Javier Rodriguez. We have covers by Lee Garbett, Leonardo Romero, and Natasha Bustos. Oh, and Ron Lim. And Phil Noto, damn. X-Men Hellfire Gala number one is written, of course, by Gary Duggan, with art by Matteo Loli, C.F. Villa, Chris Anka, and Russell Dodderman. The covers are going to be by Russell Dodderman, Carlos Gomez, Adam Hughes, Nick Dragota, Arthur Adams, and Art Germ. It says at last year's gala, it says new team revealed. Oh, at last year's gala, mutants changed the face of the solar system, terraforming Mars and claiming it for mutant kind. Do you think you can afford to miss this year's gala, all contained in this one oversized issue? Jane Foster and the Mighty Thor gets a five-issue series. Apparently, they're going to come back as two different beings. It's by Torin Grombeck, who is the better half of the writers from the Valkyries, uh, the two Valkyries miniseries that have been coming through in the past two years. Um, she's also writing the Captain Marvel Annual coming out in May. Art will be by Michael Dowling. And covers will be by Ryan Stegman, Peach Romoko, Taran Clark, Carmen Carnero, and Martin Cocolo. When Mjolnir comes crashing through Jane Foster's apartment window, she fears the worst has happened to Thor, as Asgard's greatest enemies, including Hela, Uluk, and Uluk the Troll, and Enchantress, Enchantress mountain assault on the Golden Realm. Jane must find Thor and save Asgard, even if that means she must once again risk her life to become Thor herself. Wiccan and Hulkling number one by Josh Trujulo and Jody Nishashima. Nishijima, with covers by Peach Moko and Luciano Vecchio. Hulkling and Wiccan have found their happy ending at last, or have they? When a magical artifact shows them the past not taken in life and love, Bill and Teddy find their way will Billy and Teddy find their way back to each other? Will they even want to? Wild Cards, the Drawing of Cards, is a four-issue series, but about the legendary George R.R. Martin series that's coming to Marvel. If you want more information on that, it's by Paul Cornell with art by Mike Hawthorne. Miles Morales and Moon Girl are getting their own little series by Mahole Meshigo and Iguara, with covers by Aletha Martinez, Peach Romoko, Kyra Rondoff, Todd Nock, and Ron Lim. Join Linnea Lafayette, aka Moon Girl, and her trusty T-Rex sidekick, Devil Dinosaur, in their biggest adventure yet. In the first of three one-shots, Moon Girl takes on the whole Marvel Universe alongside Miles Morales. Thor Lightning and Lament number one is a Mighty Thor uh, story by Ralph Macchio, so go figure. The Variants number one of five is coming out, starting the Jessica Jones uh, Gwenverse, basically. It's going to be by Gail Simone and Phil Noto. Clobber in Time is the Ben Grimm uh, five-issue miniseries, starting by Steve Scroce and Steve Scroce. Iron Man Hellcat Annual will be coming out in June with Christopher Cantwell on writing and Rurari Coleman as art. 
Spinning out of the pages of Iron Man, Hellcat travels to San Francisco to get her house in order. Only this house is an aging Victorian manor left to her by her mother, Dorothy. The house and its secrets will reunite Patsy with old friends like Hetty Wolf and others she'd hoped to leave dead and buried. When a supernatural crisis arises, will Hellcat and Iron Man combined be enough to beat back the flames of hell itself? Don't miss my special coming out before that um, annual. Ant-Man number one of five will be by um, Al Ewing and Tom Riley, and for some reason is a flashback to Hank Pym. Deadly Neighborhood Spider-Man number one of five is a what-if reality where Peter goes bad. It's by Taboo and B. Earl, with art by Juan Ferreira. Iron Cat number one of five is Black Cat's next series. Um, it's by Jed McKay, with art by Perry Perez, as usual and as usual. It says Iron Cat armor made its first appearance in Black Cat 11, but both Black Cat and Iron Man thought that was the last they would see of it. If Felicia is surprised to see the armor again, you can imagine how furious Tony is. There's someone new in the Iron Cat armor, and they have a plan that will put them in the crosshairs of all the heroes in the Marvel Universe. Both Iron Man and Black Cat's secrets and mistakes are going to come back to haunt them, and it's going to get rough. Marvel's Voices Pride comes with... Let's see... We got Christopher Cantwell writes Moon Dragon. Uh, Andrew Wheeler writes Hercules. Nebula gets written by Alyssa Wong. They really don't have too much on this one, but it seems like it's going to be decent enough. <laughs> this is a new Mech Strike series called Monster Hunters. It'll be five issues. Okay, that's all the number ones. Uh, besides the Mandalorian one they're doing, which is whatever, but it's by Rodney Barnes. Jed McKay's Strange Number 4, it says, Family reunion. Clea's mother, Umar, has come to visit just as the Blasphemy Cartel launched their latest attack on the Sanctum Sanctorum. And this time, they brought an unlikely foe to take down the Sorcerer Supreme, reintroducing the Dark Moon Knight, Shadow Knight. I'm, I'm sorry, that sounds great. <laughs> Thunderbolts number 2 of 5 from Jim Zub. And Sean Izoski. Savage Avengers number two. Uh, Punisher World Journal Blitz is a one shot by Torin Grombeck, it seems, that she's doing. Um, she Hulk number five will be the last issue of the series coming out in June. Captain Marvel 39 by Kelly Thompson. It says Carol's crimes against the powerful form are coming back to haunt her as Agatha Harkness, helming a tribunal of some of Marvel's most powerful magic wielders, puts her on trial. But Captain Marvel isn't exactly thrilled to recognize this court's authority, nor does she appreciate being held against her will. Back on Earth, in the midst of a spiraling identity crisis, binary skills are put to the test when she must aid Spider-Woman in protecting humans from themselves. Please don't make her evil. Please don't make her evil. Please don't make her evil. New Mutants 27, Vida Ayala and Rod Reese with some killer variants. Uh, we've got, with her soul sword shattered, magic spirals into unfamiliar territory as she confronts her legacy in limbo, dragging Mirage and Wolfsbane down with her. And while magic faces her demons, the demons of her past, present, and future, Madeline Pryor inches closer to the throne. Seems like she's fighting somebody else, not magic. Immortal X-Men number four, um, 
Emma Frost will do anything to protect her, the children, including the metaphorical child that is the Hellfire Gala. Last year's was a fantastic success. She would not like it if someone ruined the second. She would not like it at all. But don't worry, I'm sure it'll go fine. We also have X-Men Red number four from Al Ewing and Juan Cabal. X-Men Unlimited Green number two. Amazing Spider-Man number five by Zeb Wells and John Romita. Amazing Spider-Man number six, notably, is issue 900 of Amazing Spider-Man. So there's going to be a lot going on with that. Uh, we'll have issue four of the Spider-Gwen Gwenverse series, issue four of the What If Miles Morales. Well, he will What If Miles Morales was Thor. We have Captain America, Symbol of Truth, number two, Black Panther, number seven, by John Ridley, Captain Carter, number four of five, Iron Fist, number five of five, by Alyssa Wong, uh, Banner of War finishes in Thor and Hulk, Star Wars, Obi-Wan Kenobi, number two of five, by Christopher Cantwell, and finally, Knights of X3 and Legion of X3. And that is Marvel in June. Moving on now to DC in June, starting off with Dark Crisis number one. Yes, I remember DC once said they were not going to do any more crisis events. JK, Dark Crisis number one comes out in June. One of seven by Joshua Williamson. We've got covers by Daniel Sempere, Juan, uh, sorry, Jamal Campbell, Inuk Lee, Greg Capullo, Jonathan Glapion, Bruno Redondo, Dave Schoenig, Steve Beach. Uh, and Mahmoud Asrar says the epic event years in the making is finally here. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and the rest of the Justice League are dead. The remaining heroes left to protect the world from an onslaught of violent attacks by DC's greatest villains. Can the legacy heroes step out of the shadows of their classic heroes to form a new Justice League? And will that be enough to... That's a mail truck. And will that be enough to stop a darkness greater than anything they've ever faced from destroying everything? Basically, this is how they're going to bring in um, Future State. Uh, then you have a Justice League, a 62 Dark Crisis Justice League that's coming uh, from Megan Fitzmartin with art by Laura Braga, which is awesome. Go, go girls. And then there is a Black Adam series coming from Christopher Priest, of course, not surprising at all. It says, this is the reality Teth Adam, immortal man of indomitable will, must face when he discovers... When he discovers he has been infected with an incurable plague destroying his own mortality, haunted by the specter of centuries of dark deeds, Black Adam transfers his powers to a worthy successor who will redeem Adam's legacy and defend their ancestral home of Kandak. There's a lot more to it. You can find it online. <laughs> Nubia, Queen of the Amazons, issue one of four, starts in June by Stephanie Williams with art by Aletha Martinez and Mark Morales. Nubia may be queen, but not all Amazons call Themyscira home, which prompts the new monarch to leave Themyscira for the first time in decades to serve her people in a way Hippolyta never had the opportunity to. Count me the hell in. Poison Ivy number one of six now. I really deserve, I really needed to talk about this a lot more than I, a lot more than I am here, but uh, we're just going to go over this really quickly. It's by G. Willow Wilson. It's six issues. Art by Marcio Takara, who is stunning artist. We have covers by Jessica Fong, Warren Liu, Nick Robles, Frank Cho, Warren Liu again, Dan Mora, and Chris Anka. So many good ones. Pamela Isley has been a lot of things in her life. A living god, a supervillain, an activist, a scientist, and dead. In a new body that she didn't ask for, with a renewed sense of purpose, Ivy leaves Gotham to set out to complete her greatest work, a gift to the world that will heal the damage dealt to it by ending humanity. 
Spinning out of the pages of Batman, DC is proud to present the next unbelievable chapter in Poison Ivy's life by the incredible team of G. Willow Wilson and Marcio Takara. <sighs> DC Pride number one is going to feature John Kent, Superman, Nubia, Tim Drake, Kid Quick, Aquaman, Green Lantern, Joel Mullen, Aquaman, Jackson Hyde, obviously, Elysia Yo, The Ray, Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, Batwoman, and more. Uh, the DC Pride special also includes a story that kicks off the Multiversity Teen Justice series, spotlighting Kid Quick, um, and written by Danny Lore and Ivan Cohen. DC Pride Tim Drake special comes from, again, Megan Fitzmartin. Um, it's going to be breaking out from the story of... Oh no, JK, it actually is collecting the Tim Drake story from Batman Urban Legends 4 through 6 and 10, which is starting apparently his new path, whatever that's going to be. Multiversity Teen Justice 1 of 6 is one that I actually find myself very excited for. It says, Kid Quick, the Future State Flash, and their fellow superheroes, Supergirl, Robin, Aquagirl, Clarion, the Witch Girl, and Troy take center stage in a miniseries that rocks Earth-11 to its core. Um, it begins with an attack by the Hive and ends with the Church of Blood. What is Sister Blood's true mission in Among the Lost Souls of New York? It's a gender-bent... Earth-11 is gender-bent, if you haven't figured that out. That's part of why I'm like, that's gonna be awesome! <laughs> DC vs. Vampires gets its first one-shot with Killers Number 1, written by Matthew Rosenberg. In the shadow of the new vampire world order, Harley Quinn rules the human underworld in this age of darkness. She has survived only by looking out for herself, but she might have just found the key to saving the world. Milestones in History Number 1 um it's gonna be all about the milestone universe they have a lot of stuff coming from that from our uh let's see writers reginald hudlin pat charles tananari tananari vidu karen parsons alice randall and toure and art by ray anthony height jamal eigel arvel jones dominique domo stanton ron wilson and more Batman, Catwoman, Batman, Catwoman, Twelve of Twelve is written by Tom King with art by Clay Mann. Wedding bells are finally ringing. I'm fist pumping right now. Wedding bells are finally ringing for Batman and Catwoman. As our story concludes, the lovers prepare to take the next steps in their lives together by trading everlasting vows. The Bat-Cat wedding is here, and knowing Bruce and Selina, it'll be anything but conventional. You won't want to miss the final chapter of Tom King's epic of Tom King's Batman epic. Then I have to wonder, is he going to continue putting out the stories of their, like, saga afterwards? I hope he does, because he's been doing that for years. <laughs> I gotta get a, a, a print of that poster by Clay Mann of all the Bat-Cats from the series. It is phenomenal. Catwoman 44 comes from Teeny Howard. They still have Jenny Frizen covers, so I am still in this for that. Dark Knights of Steel number 7 of 12 will be coming out in June by Tom Taylor with art by guest artist Nathan Gooden. Uh, Harley Quinn number 6 will be Stephanie Phillips and Riley Rossmo once again. And then we also have uh, Flashpoint Beyond number 5, Batman Superman World's Finest number 4, Batman Beyond the White Knight number 4 of 8, Batman Fortress 2 of 8, Batman Killing Time 4 of 6, Batman the Knight, quite a few Batman books. 
Batman the Knight, 6 of 10. Batman Urban Legends, 16. I am Batman, number 10. Oh, finally, here we go. Monkey Prince, number 5. Something not Batman. <laughs> Naomi, season 2, number 4. Robin, 15. Son of Kal-El, number 12. And Wonder Woman Evolution, number 8 of 8. <gasps> Oh, we did it. I made it through everything that I said I was going to make it through on this episode, and it's only been less than two hours. Wow. As I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, there is a lot to look forward to for the podcast the next episode being uh, next Monday, where I'm going to be covering... Um, what am I going to be covering? I'm going to be covering... Um, the comics that I've missed in a lot of these recent episodes, I'm probably going to talk a lot more about the Poison Ivy series that's coming and how I feel about that and where I see that going and etc. Um, and then of course, everything in the news and it's going to be the week before Moon Knight. So that's really exciting. Um, and let's see, so episode 57 is where we're going to have our first Moon Knight discussion. Once again, as always, thank you for listening to this episode. I appreciate any amount of support that you can manage for the podcast. Um, it is spring. Spring spring has sprung. Enjoy the nice weather uh, while you can. The days and nights are more or less equal this time of year, so that's something to be taken advantage of. Um, and apparently the two-party system in America managed to agree on one thing and that was that daylight saving time time changes don't need to happen anymore so apparently that's not going to be a thing anymore uh good job helping the people government people great job solving the issues the real problems <laughs> it's good news it's good news we'll take what we can get sadly anyway <laughs> have a good week happy spring Find something to enjoy with your hobbies and get sweaty.